This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Rocky Tump Insider Press Pass podcast. Today is Thursday, October 5th. We're smack dab in the middle here of the bye week, although one of the people here at the table might have a contention with the phrase bye week. We'll get to that here in a minute. My name is Rick Butler. Joined across the table, that is Jack Foster. Joined to my right, that is Ryan Shumper. Good afternoon, my friends, or really, I guess I should say good morning. That's two weeks in a row now. How are y'all doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Enjoying... uh the bye week, as you said, and uh, ready to talk a little bit of Tennessee football, a little SEC football, and uh, a little Tennessee basketball as we, we creep closer to uh, to basketball season. That's the plan. Jack, how you doing? Doing, doing well, man. It's uh, it's crazy that September's already done, and we're already five days through October. We're already Thursday in this week. Yeah. It's so crazy how fast time Lying. is moving, and we're already through a month of you know both football seasons, and that's kind of sad in its own right. But just enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, Take a minute, breathe it all in. It's the bye week. Like sit back and just enjoy football this weekend because it's going to be over before you know it. Jack, you uh, talking about how football is going by? You missed some of the best math ever done on the Rocky Top Insider podcast by me and our post game show. Oh snap! Uh, this this guy right here did five divided by thirteen on the money. No <laughs> way. Yeah, thirty eight percent. He did. Like just, I, did you get I, lucky or I had you know? forgotten about that? Uh, a little bit of both. I knew I knew from the numbers it should have been slightly below 40%, and 38 is what I guessed. And then I had, hey. to, I had to double check on was the Was there a decimal that you got as well in that? I, I, I have a no, vague memory of it. Okay, no. no. At least not, you know, uh, I'm not that good. But that made me think of it because Rick had said we're about halfway through the football season, and I was pushing yeah. back on that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was pushing back strongly. It was like two a.m. in the Neyland Stadium press box, and Rick was <laughs> trying to wrap up the show. Yeah. And here I was being a menace to him. But it got us a good moment right there, where moment. where you did have that math. We checked it live, and then bam, it was correct. One of my so, proudest uh, academic achievements. Yeah, could double as an accountant like Ben Affleck over there. <laughs> That's right. Except instead of being a what was Ben Affleck? Was he a hitman? In that movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, instead of a hitman, you're yeah. a journalist. So. That's right. A little, a little cooler, right? A little, yeah, a little bit cooler job. Family comes from, from finance That's people. right. Yeah, so all, it's, all accountants. It's, it's in the brain there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. You're the one I'm talking about that might have a contention with the bi-week phrase. Now, I don't think that you, you know, you're going to come out here and demand that yes. we fix the phrase. Maybe you are. No, no, you're I'm right. I'm looking at you. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Joe Rexro, The Athletic, is... He, I'm the, he's the first one who I don't even know introduced me to. I think I just saw it on Twitter last year. He was he fights the battle hard. That it is not a bye week. It's an open date. Um, okay. And the logic is, and he's he's absolutely right. Like a bye week implies that it's like a tournament, and you're not playing because you earned a bye. Like you don't have to play. There are other games that lead into your game, and that's not that's not the case in the regular season. So it's an open date. In my, I've come around. I was kind of on the fence about it, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, he's right. Uh, so in my writing, I've been using open date, but I don't care enough to correct people saying bye week, and I'll probably slip into it and call it bye week too while just talking about it because it's it's sometimes this week leading up to the game, it's easier to call it a bye week than you got to stay ahead of the open date if you want to go that yeah. way, which is a lot easier when you can think about it and write it than it is when you're just speaking. I feel like I agree that the open date is a is a better phrasing for it, but not for those same reasons. Like bye week doesn't make me immediately think of a, a, a of a pass, you know, 
But I see where that's coming from, and and that does make all the sense in the world. So I, I, I that's where I got it from. I saw you tweet about it, and I, yeah. and I wanted to know the story behind it. So kind of worked it into the podcast to hear the story. There we go. Gentlemen, I would say it's a big weekend up ahead, but obviously it is not. It's a time where Tennessee gets to rest, Tennessee gets to recover, Tennessee gets to regroup and look forward at really the second half in in parentheses or in quotes of the of the season coming up ahead. Now, Josh Heupel from I don't know what was it from Saturday night after the South Carolina game to Wednesday during his one press conference appearance this week. He's mentioned twice now how important this week is to get healthy, and I think it's obvious to see why. Tennessee's banged up in a lot of different places. They're waiting to get guys back. You saw uh, last week against South Carolina, just kind of out of the blue, both Dante Thornton, Andre uh, Andre Carrick, Jeremiah Crawford, Crawford yeah. right? Just guys couldn't go. Just guys being banged up in the week. So, obviously, it seems like that's a priority in their minds, and, and that's something that's really going to be beneficial from this week. Certainly, and you go... So the defense decided to ball. You have Danico Slaughter, uh, who played a t- little bit against South Carolina, but has effectively not played the last three games. So not a ton of super, super important players that are injured in the sense that you're going to get them back after the bye week. Obviously, Brew McCoy is an important player. Keenan Peely is an important player. But neither of them are going to be ready to go by Texas A&M. Obviously, McCoy won't be ready to play uh, again this season. So important from um, probably a depth standpoint more than – like you like have gotta have them, gotta have them. Standpoint, right. yeah, yeah. It's no. I mean, Danico would be nice. I feel like that's the most likely starter because, and we finally saw what we've all been wanting to yes. see all season was that off those five offensive linemen on the field for that's the right. South Carolina game, and they played well. So, yeah, the the Carrick and Crawford are depth pieces now in my mind, and you know the other guys too, except Slaughter. Well, yeah, that'll be the interesting thing because obviously you never want anyone to be hurt. First, from just like the moral standpoint, and two, from you want to have them to have depth. That's, you know, that yeah. stuff's important. But when Josh Eibel sits there on Wednesday and talks about, yeah, we're going to continue to rotate guys to left guard, it's like, ah, maybe <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad for Andre's character to miss another week because, I mean, Jack let it into it. We've been saying it for a while that we want to see what Tennessee's best five offensive linemen look like, and we've believed that's John Campbell. Working left to right, John Campbell, Ollie Lane, Cooper Mays, Javante Spragans, Gerald Mincy. And you finally saw that partly because of injury and obviously the biggest part because you got Cooper Mays back against South Carolina and it was the best game Tennessee's offensive line's played all year. So that'll be interesting to see how much they do rotate when those guys get back. And look, a left guard would be one thing, a right tackle. It's like you just got it. I just gotta go. It's, 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 an excu- just gotta go for it's it. inexcusable not to play Mincy a hundred, you know, close to 100% of the snaps. And Look, never played offensive line at a high level, but the eye test tells you that. PFF numbers aren't anything, but they kind of supplement that. You look at how Tennessee's players have graded out the first month of the season. I had a piece on that yesterday over on RockyTopInsider.com. Gerald Mincy, highest graded offensive lineman uh, for Tennessee this season. Jeremiah Crawford, lowest graded offensive player, second lowest graded player on Tennessee's team. I mean, it's just just pretty cut and dry. Uh, You can't continue to split time with those guys and – Again, I think we would all agree that they should just play Ollie Lane exclusively yeah. at left guard, too. But to me, that one is less pressing. So it'll be interesting. Um, and certainly you do want those guys back for, for the depth standpoint. Yeah, but I do think you're right. I think that's kind of like Jack alluded to. People have been waiting to see that five combination. Obviously, Cooper Mays 
Uh, and his injury was a big part of that. And we actually got to talk to him earlier in this week on on Wednesday. So if you'd like to see what Cooper Mays has to say about just kind of where he's been the last month, what the last month has been like trying to get back on the field, you can head over to Rocky Top Insider's YouTube channel. But one of the other big kind of storylines from this week that, that I think we should quickly talk about, and Ryan, you and I got to give our instant reaction there uh, on the field on Saturday whenever it was. But, Jack, haven't heard your thoughts either. Guys, Brew McCoy goes down yeah. during the game against South Carolina. Josh Heupel confirms throughout the week or – you know, that, that he is going to be undergoing surgery. If not, you know, I guess that's already happened at this point. Yeah, it's Sunday, Thursday. Sunday morning. So, now, I guess that almost lines up, you know, I, he basically got hurt Sunday morning. That was such a late night game. But, um, you know, Josh Apple talked about, hey, you know, this is a plug and play, right? We we have guys that we believe can step up into that spot, whether you're talking about uh, Chaz Nimrod, whether you're talking about Caleb Webb, who's, who's probably likely the the option out of those two right there. But then you also have Dante Thornton, who didn't play against last uh, against South Carolina last week, a little bit banged up. Josh Heupel does believe and I guess does feel optimistic that he will be able to play against Texas A&M. But, Jack, just kind of kicking it over to you. I mean, what, what were your immediate thoughts when this happened? And what do you think that, you know, kind of about five days have passed just with this Brew McCoy situation? Yeah, young guys got to step up, and I think what we've seen from Squirrel White so far this season has been tremendous. I think he's had a really, really good year and is more of a complete receiver than I may have thought. So I feel like Squirrel White, with the step he's taken, it lessens the blow of Brew McCoy's injury, and of course with Ramel Keaton being Ramel Keaton, who's a dependable veteran in this Tennessee offense, yeah, I'm confident in those two guys. Obviously, Brew's a huge loss. There's no getting around that. But the young guys have to step up, whether that's Chaz, Nimrod, or Caleb Webb. We saw Webb have a really good game against UTSA. Obviously, didn't have a catch against South Carolina. Chaz had the one catch and the one bad play against South Carolina. Um, and then, extending further, Jacob Warren. You know, and That was the best game of his career, I yeah, thought. Yeah, this God, is a guy that catch was outstanding in was, the end zone. Yeah. I mean, his value to the team isn't really seen on the field, right? His value is in multiple facets of the game, but... As far as just producing on the field, Ryan's right. This is one of, if not the best game of his career, and we've never really seen him be a big factor in Tennessee's passing offense. Is he going to be moving forward? Because if he is, I think that's really a really good thing for Tennessee and also McAllen Castles, who we've seen be a more of a factor in the passing game this year than Warren. But if you have both guys working, then that'll also help replace Brew. With Castles, it almost feels like like the talents there, like he, you can. It's easy to see, like, yeah, this is a guy that can be a pretty talented as a pass catcher. It just feels like there's one play a game where it's like, ah, man, you can't, you can't do that. He has a drop, <laughs> yeah, or that's a good point. he's against South Carolina. He slipped on a screen pass that was really well set up that he was going to probably pick up ten plus yards on. And Tennessee just doesn't target the tight ends enough. Overcomes probably not the right word, but like you know, it's it's one thing if you have Jaheim Bell and that happens once a game, it's like all right, this guy's getting nine, ten targets. You know, it happens once a game, whatever. And McCullough Castles, Tennessee tight ends are getting five or six combined exactly. targets a game. They've never been a big part. Yeah, yeah. so then it, it feels a lot bigger than it is. So uh, that'll be an interesting thing. And then you know, with the the Brew McCoy thing, I think in some ways it's easy to minimize it a little bit just because Tennessee really hasn't had a true number one receiver this year. It's all been very balanced. So it's like, yeah, yeah everybody yeah. can step up. And that is true. I think the two areas you'll really see it, Tennessee's so limited in that ability to throw the ball in, or in the intermediate. I've thought Brew McCoy's been their best screen guy just because obviously he doesn't have the, screen, the speed, but he's just so physical uh, as a runner and is so good at picking up yeah. extra yards. He gets the first down. No yes, doubt. exactly. Like you feel... Third and three, you're going to run a screen pass or something. Like, he's the guy that you want to throw it to who's going to be able to get an extra two yards there if it's 
not there just naturally with how you've blocked it. And on the other side, what, you know, he's just so underrated for is just how good he is in run blocking. I yeah. mean, he is <laughs> multiple times this year he has sprung runs or screen passes 20, 25 yards further than they would have just because he's been so good downfield blocking. So that's something that not anyone's really going to talk about. It's not a sexy part of Tennessee's offense, but it is something that Brew McCoy does just at an elite level, and I'm sure the Vols will miss. Have we seen, and I don't believe we have, have we seen Dante Thornton in the on one Play of the outside, outside positions no, yet? No. I, didn't, I didn't think so. And so that is a fascinating kind of aspect of this whole thing to me. You know, I remember us talk, asking Josh Heupel throughout training camp, you know, hey, is Dante Thornton a guy that is getting work both inside and outside? And they did say yes. They, they did say that, hey, he's got flexibility to his game, but we haven't necessarily seen that on the field this year. We haven't seen him move out to the slot. But in a lot of ways, we just haven't seen Dante Thornton live up to that potential that I think he brought to Tennessee with him from Oregon. We know Joey Halsley refers to him as a freak on the field, and I don't think anybody doubts that. But for Tennessee, it's about getting him involved in these games. I'm interested to see how that happens. Obviously, with a guy like Caleb Webb, who, who's been here for a year, who's kind of proven himself in the system a little bit more, who did catch a touchdown last week, I, I do expect to see a healthy dose of Caleb Webb uh, especially in this next game against Texas A&M as, as Tennessee continues to not rework by any stretch of the imagination, but kind of figure out this offense without their number one veteran receiver and Brew McCoy leading the way. So that's obviously just a, a big storyline to watch for us here as we continue this week and next week into that Texas A&M game. Yeah, and all these receivers, extending even to Nathan Laycock, they were good commits. Like, they were good lands for Tennessee. So now we're sure. going to see how they work out. And. Now, I'm ex- obviously the McCoy injury sucks, but I'm excited to see what these young guys have. And I've already loved what I've seen out of Caleb Webb and you know small doses throughout the year. Speaking of things that you might love to see, speaking of things that you might expect to see, I want to you know kind of wrap up our, our Tennessee Open Week conversation with this right here. We're, we're what five weeks into the season, on to week six right now. Here's a little bit of a look back. Win against Virginia, 49-13. Win against Austin P 30-13. Lost to Florida, 29-16. Win over UTSA, 45-14. Win over South Carolina, 41-20. I want to put this question out on the table for both of you. I have answers myself, but where has Tennessee sort of exceeded your expectations this year through five games? Where have they sort of fallen short of those expectations through the first five games of the season? I'll just leave that open right there on the table. Okay, exceeded expectations would definitely be the pass rush in the defensive line. I thought it had a chance to be better, but I did not expect James Pierce to be an absolute animal. Yeah. <laughs> did yeah. not see that coming. Uh, absolutely. I thought Josh Josephs could have been it, but even my expectation for Josephs was not what Pierce has done. Yeah, so and, Pierce, it go, and that goes back to that thing of yeah. no, no, no coach was talking about even James Pierce during training exactly. camp, right? Like We sat there for every single press conference at training camp not in like a disrespectful way or anything, but people just weren't bringing up James Pierce. He explodes on the scene against Virginia, continues to have success, and then once again has a phenomenal game against South Carolina. I'm right there with you. I mean, we're talking about one of the best defensive linemen in the SEC so far this yeah. year. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, he and Tyler Barron have just been, you know, wrecking crews. So that has definitely exceeded expectations. What has fallen short is just the passing game still. I mean, it, it was fine against South Carolina, but just the lack of big plays. I still thought there would be more explosiveness to this Tennessee offense. The run game has been tremendous, but just the explosiveness in the passing game hasn't been there. I'm going to, you know, let the offensive line be because I think it will be fine and we haven't seen them fully healthy, so I'm going to exclude sure. that from this conversation, but obviously they underwhelmed a couple of games. But yeah, not exceeding not living up to expectations would be explosiveness in the passing game exceeding defensive line. 
I think that's all good. I, I, to me, definitely the pass rush is the number one thing that's exceeded expectations. And these are two things that I'll go with that are kind of wait and see. And, and it goes back to what I said last week on the podcast, and, and we've got a little bit bigger sample size now. But, you know, Tennessee's played two. They played five games, but they've played two games against competition that we really feel like we can draw a lot of conclusions against. And, and that would be... That Tennessee's run defense hasn't been quite as good as I expected, and that Tennessee's secondary has been better than I expected. And then the secondary one is oh really? I mean, it, is you, is that? I feel like you wouldn't have said that before South Carolina. I wouldn't have said that before South Carolina, but when you're good against an SEC team, it, to me, it brings a whole a lot more validity to what they did against UTSA and against Virginia, which at that time I wasn't taking too much into it. And I would say the same thing about that the pass sense. rush. I'd say the same thing about the pass rush where Fair. Uh, I thought the pass rush was good in those games, but it was like, eh, how much can I really glean from it? And obviously they weren't great in very limited opportunities against Florida because they didn't really get them into a lot of passing downs. Um, so again, that's one where it's still, I'm still wait and see on it. The secondary are they truly better? But I think through the first month of the season, you'd have to say that they are better. Okay. I'm going to take it in a little bit of a different direction, and maybe it's not even directly on the field or anything like that. But one thing that I, I'm still undecided about, it's going to be a big second half of the season for Tennessee, and one of those reasons is because they got to go out on the road. right? Uh, yeah. You go back to that Florida game, it still weighs heavy in my mind. I don't know about you guys, no. but there are moments where, where you know I'll be thinking about Tennessee's improved secondary. I'll be thinking about a really strong pass rush, stuff like that, and then I'll go, "Damn!" But it, it just saw you saw the wheels fall off against Florida, and I'm not. I, I do not believe that that is, you know, indicative of Tennessee more than some of these other games that we've seen. But there is that theory of what's going to happen next when they go out on the road, right? And they're going to have back-to-back chances here coming up in October. You got one game to Alabama, then you got immediately after going to Kentucky. Those to me, that Kentucky game, then you got to go on the road to Missouri a little bit later in the season. Those, to me, are, are some of the most absolutely key games for Tennessee. I don't know what they're going to look like on the road, right? I, I'm starting to build a little bit more confidence back up in this team, and the, the Florida game was a little bit shaky, and I know that Tennessee got boat raced, and at the end of the day, that was a game where the crowd took over, the momentum took over, right? The, Tennessee was dead in the water from the second quarter on, but I want to know how this team fights on the road, and, and I think that is a big thing to look at moving forward, so... Well, that's not necessarily uh, something I can, you know, say either exceeded or fell short of expectations coming into the year. That's at least a big kind of mid-season storyline for me right now. How's Tennessee going to handle those environments? How's Tennessee going to be able to perform? Because to me, let's look at it. You you have one loss to Florida right now. Mm. Alabama could be a loss. It's on the road. That's going to be tough. Georgia probably going to be tough. That you know, I'll chalk that up to a loss just for argument's sake at the end of the season. Then you still got two more road games, right, on the road at Kentucky and on the road at Missouri. And I'm not saying that Tennessee's going to lose those games, but that's tough right there, right? That That is a tough stretch. So I'm really interested to see how this team performs when they got to leave Knoxville, and they got to do so a pretty good amount in the second half of the season. Two thoughts on that. I'd say, you know, to, set, to your second point about having those Kentucky and Missouri games on the road, obviously you lose the, the benefit of playing at Neyland Stadium where Tennessee's been really good, but I think – the downside of going on the road in those environments isn't nearly as bad. I mean, those just aren't big-time college football environments. So the crowd noise I don't think will be as big as a factor in, in those games. And, you know, kind of going back. But I do think that those are – I totally agree. But I do think that those are teams that really want to beat Tennessee. Yeah, but that is a, that, that's not why – Tennessee didn't lose to Florida 
because they were on the road and Florida really wanted to beat Tennessee and their fans really wanted to beat Tennessee. They lost because they had absolutely no answer for the crowd noise. And I don't know, saying they had no leadership would probably be probably go too far. But when you crumble in the second quarter and have no way of recovering against a team that, I don't know, and maybe just, maybe they, not, but at, at this point, a month through the season, I'd say Tennessee's better than. Like that's, that's, oh, they're definitely better. They just struggle to overcome adversity. Yes. On the road, especially. Which is, you guys, where your leadership has to step up. Yep. and Especially defensively, too. Yeah, and that, and, that, and the Florida one is worse in that standpoint than the Georgia ones in South Carolina games were last year, which is what we talked about. Georgia was more talented than Tennessee. And that oh, yeah. play, on top of that place being crazy. So, like, you got punched in the mouth by a really good team. South Carolina, Tennessee had a lot of response in that game from the offense. I mean, <laughs> you look at Tennessee had 31 points when Hinton Hooker tore his ACL and first drive in the fourth quarter or whatever. Like, the offense was sc- not perfect, but scoring well. Florida's not good. Florida's not good. You got punched in the face and you had you had no response. And the game was, as you said, Rick, over by halftime. Yeah. Like that's that's inexcusable. So yep. uh I don't worry about that happening as much against Kentucky and Missouri, but as we work closer to Alabama and Tennessee starts playing better football and it, you know, Alabama obviously has their flaws as we've talked about, you know, there are people probably less than us, but people have talked about all season. Uh, that be game becomes more of a winnable game. That's the game where I worry. Can Tennessee go on the road and answer and against a team that's going to be more physical than them and a team that's again really going to be want to beat them? You beat them last year. Uh, that would be my question more than Missouri and Kentucky. Curious to see if this makes sense to you guys. I wonder if the mood has changed because I felt like coming into the season, you know, the consensus was okay. Tennessee should be favored in nine games or in ten games, and then Georgia and Alabama are going to be tough. Like. It's kind sure. of the SEC Penn State, right? And sure. then you get yeah. smacked by Florida, and I felt like the mood completely flipped was Alabama and Georgia are completely out of the window, and now Tennessee has to worry about the Kentuckys and the Missouris and the South Carolinas. And then they beat South Carolina by 21, which before the season started, if I said Tennessee wins by three scores in Neyland against South Carolina, I'd be like, yeah, that's about right. Now, is the, are we back to where we started, or are we still in that – post-Florida thought process, I am, because the South Carolina game didn't change a whole lot for me. It changed a little bit. It showed me that they can still dominate an SEC opponent, but I'm still, like Ryan, keeping that Florida game at the top of my mind. I think it's both. And here's why Here's why <laughs> yeah, I'd say that. I wanted to split the difference as well. <laughs> here's, why, here's why I'd say it. It's less about Tennessee. Let's go in before the season. The SEC was pretty consensusly the top four teams in this order were viewed as Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee. Yeah. Fair? Not one of those teams. Every single one of those teams is worse than people expected. <laughs> yes. Right. So I just think the gap between the top of the league and the middle of the league, like it's just not that big. Less than I, in a long, long time, since a, at least a decade and a half, uh, mm-hmm. the gap between the middle of the league and the top of the league. So I just think Tennessee's probably still in there, probably not the fourth best team, but I don't know, fifth, sixth best team, but they're just not that far from wherever to being able to beat Georgia and Neal. Wherever Kentucky sure. is. Like at, Auburn almost yes. beat. And Tennessee's better than Auburn, right? Yeah. Yes. So they're just, and, and the thing I've been saying with Georgia, which is tough for Tennessee, I've said this since before the season, this is the year you wish you got Georgia early. You know, Georgia, and maybe they won't figure out a bunch of stuff, but they got a long time and not a yeah. lot of teams that are capable of beating yeah. them before they play and, Tennessee and time to figure out their offense and for Carson Beck to get better and get comfortable. Whereas if you got them, you know, last weekend when Auburn got them, heck, you might have won. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> funny enough, I, I kind of like splitting the, the difference as well and kind of combining those. To me, 
you know, yes, I, I think you look at those top two teams like Alabama and Georgia, and like Ryan said, right, there's there's some weaknesses, right? They, in some ways, they are vulnerable and a lot more vulnerable than they might have been in the past. However, and, and and I don't even want to say that I was overlooking those mid-tier games, you know, at first. Oh, I was. I'll, I'll, I'll admit. Okay, fair. <laughs> fair. And I might have been. I might have been as well, right? Somebody's got to tell me who's yeah, been listening it was, to the podcast. To me, it was te- it was Bama and Georgia are probably losses, and A and M you got to worry about. That was my yeah. I thought that sounds fair. Yeah. Uh, and, and to not me, me who picked Kentucky to beat Tennessee yeah, before right. here. So. Oh man, how do I want to phrase this? So yes, to me, like I, I, I do now. Uh, I think you do got to look at those games. I mean, I just said it a second ago when I was talking about, you know, both Kentucky, Missouri on the road. It, to me, like those are those are teams that you kind of got to watch out for now. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's yes, Tennessee might not have gotten out to the start that I've that I thought they might have. Therefore, those other kind of mid tier teams are in play a little bit more. But I also think that Tennessee's goals are still attainable, right? Yeah, For everything that was on the table still on the table. Yes, and, and you do got to beat Alabama on the road. It's going to be a rowdy environment. It's going to be tough. But to me, the idea through this whole regular season was get to the Georgia game with one loss. I fully mm-hmm. was expecting that to potentially be Alabama or to most likely be Alabama. But at the end of the day, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't matter, right? No. It doesn't matter if it's Florida at the beginning or, or so. Alabama in the middle. You just want to get to that game with one loss because if Georgia's, if Georgia's undefeated, which they probably will be, then you have a chance to win that game and, and win the division in Neyland. So I still think that the goals are on the table and the goals are still attainable for that reason, but I am you know, noticing those, mid-team, those mid-tier teams a little bit there, more just because of how this first part of the season is going. There's more games you're uncertain about now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Which, <laughs> yeah. say, again, say that about <laughs> Starting the— Starting with Texas A&M. Say that about every team in the SEC right now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it just is. And I'll be interested to go— I say I'll be interested. I'm not going to do it. I'm interested for some <laughs> some better national or regional journalist at the end of the season to go see the winning percentage of win, of S, or of home teams in SEC games this year compared to past years because I bet it'll be way up this season. I just yeah. bet teams at home will win a lot more games than they've won in recent it's years. like basketball. It, it, that's exactly what it's like. It's exactly like SEC basketball where it, 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 the teams are so even at the top and the middle of the league that if you're – Unless you're going on the road, one of the top teams is going on the road to play one of the bottom teams. Like you just feel like it's going to be a toss-up at best. So, um, yep. and to Rick's point, I don't think Rick was you know declaring that Tennessee is going to be one loss going into the Georgia game. But kind of back to what Jack said of the Florida game still being in his mind. Like I don't know. I don't mean to be a negative Nancy, but Tennessee's not going to have one loss when they go to the Georgia <laughs> game. Maybe Georgia, maybe Georgia <laughs> drops. But a fucking fair, done, Rick. Fair, they're done. No, I I agree but, with but what you're, he's but saying. But you're right. Like that's what I'm saying. You weren't saying that Tennessee's going to have one loss. You were saying yes. all the goals are out ahead of them, and they are. And heck, Georgia could drop. Georgia, I think it's more likely Georgia drops one, and Tennessee has two losses in this playing for the SEC East. Sure, that's then fair. It, then it is Tennessee has one loss. That's good. Tennessee's just too limited offensively in the passing game that they're going to run the table and beat A and M and Alabama and Kentucky. In, in Missouri before Georgia. I just, they're just not good enough passing football, in, yeah. my, in my opinion, for I'll, me to believe that. I will say this. Before the season, I was saying that I don't care if it's in Tuscaloosa, Tennessee has a better chance of beating Bama than Georgia. Yeah. I have completely changed my tune on that. I'd agree with that. I would, yeah, I would say the same. Yeah, I, I feel like the Bama game is almost impossible. But I, th- I think Bama's really figuring uh, Like, the last two weeks, I know they've played subpar competition, but I feel like they're kind of figuring it out. 
they're I mean they're like Tennessee. They're just they're limited in a lot of what they can do. But they're still more talented than Tennessee. And this I guess is this will learn us a lot against A and M. I go back to two years ago, Heupel's first season. Tennessee ran the ball really well against South Carolinas, against Missouris of the world. But when they played those top-level SEC front sevens, they struggled to run the ball. What does that look like this year? Yeah. I think the run game is better this year than it was in 2021. I think you're it's more... the best of the hype era. Yes, I think you're more equipped to be able to run the ball successfully against those teams, but you don't have the passing game that can carry you. It's just you're going to be very dependent to, on the run game to move to football, which I don't even know if skeptical would be the right word, but I'm still, I still view Tennessee's ability to run the football at a really high level as a question mark against Alabama, against Georgia, against Texas A&M. Sure. Uh, so I guess that's kind of where I'm at with it. Speaking of those SEC teams that you're talking about, Ryan, let's let's kind of broaden the scope uh, just for a couple minutes if you guys want to. Looking at the SEC East standings, three undefeated teams: Georgia five and zero, Kentucky five and zero, Missouri five and zero. In that order, Florida three and two, Tennessee four and one, South Carolina two and three, Vanderbilt two and four. Between Vanderbilt and, or excuse me, not Vanderbilt, between Kentucky and Missouri, which one of those is surprising you more? Uh, sorry, guys. Well, if you're talking about who's like from being undefeated, it's Missouri. I think Missouri is a lot better than Kentucky. Kentucky really hasn't been that impressive to me. I mean, obviously the win against Florida was Wait, good. You think Missouri's better than Kentucky? Clearly, maybe not clearly, but I would say that I would say I definitely think they're better. It's not like I, a wide I think, gap. I think that Missouri has been very interesting this year. But I think they have a lot to prove coming up. I, I agree. That's they, true. They beat ranked Kansas State, right? They they got them at home. They they drilled what that like that 60, 61 yarder. 61 yarder. Gosh, it, that it was crazy. It was wild, right? I <laughs> never seen anything like it. They came back, they beat Memphis, then they beat Vanderbilt in their first SEC game. First being only SEC game, right? So when you start with Vanderbilt, you're literally working from the bottom. Yeah. All the way up. So they have every bit of competition still left on the table. So I, I, I'm, once again, I'm very interested in Missouri. They've I'm, got a little bit of momentum. The ball is rolling. But, boy, do they have some tough tests coming up that's really going to start to prove where this team is and where this season is for the Tigers, to I'm, me. I'm probably giving Missouri too much credit, but I think you are. <laughs> Look, So be it. Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky killed Florida because they ran the ball for 250 yards in the first half. That counts. That I don't mean to take anything away from the win, but to me, we're talking about sustainability, long-term of the season. They're not going to do that every game. Devin Leary, to me, has been one of the biggest disappointments in the conference this year. That passing offense is not good. It's just not good. And uh, Again, I probably am giving Missouri too much credit. We'll learn a lot more uh, get about them this, this weekend. weekend when they face LSU. That's right. Um, but I, guess I would just say, from my standpoint, I – and this is a guy that picked Kentucky to beat Tennessee before the year. I worry more about the Missouri game than the Kentucky game for Tennessee at this point. Wow. Man, I don't know. With a player oh, like Ray Davis, in, I that's just... That's interesting. Oh. I don't, I don't see it at all. I don't agree or disagree. I just think that's I really think, interesting. Look, i got to think about that for a minute. Brady Cook and Luther Burden are good. I, it's just, I just don't... I just think Missouri's going to... Missouri, like, in the end. I just don't see it. Well, if we know anything, Kentucky's got a storied <laughs> history of beating <laughs> Tennessee football say. in competitive <laughs> games. I, I was going to say this while Ryan was talking. I thought of it. So a little bit of story time here. Okay. So you know how last night began this awesome stretch of yeah. a, a football game every night, and I'm like, yes. So I went to walk-ons with my roommates. The vibes were high. Vibes I come back, high. and I'm like, I'm going to bet on this MTSU game. The MTSU is playing Jacksonville State, and my I don't know anything about these two teams. But my roommate was like, oh, it's 
got to go with the Blue Raiders, Tennessee school. I'm like, okay, they were favored two and a half. So, you know, I hammered, okay. I hammered minus two and a half. Things were looking swimmingly. They were up 23 to seven. What, what an absolute degenerate. They're up 23 to seven. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. First half. Then a dude drops a touchdown, and the mistakes just continue to pile up. I oh, think no. half their team didn't know how to play football in the second half, and they end up <laughs> losing. Uh, Jacksonville State went on a 38-0 run to win the game. <laughs> 38 zip? 45 to 23 was the final <laughs> score. They got Jeez. blown out. But so I'm thinking, wow, this MTSU team is awful. These players are making just boneheaded mistakes. And uh, my they other Missouri close, said, right? hey, Missouri only beat this team by four. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, okay, yeah, Missouri are frauds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, no, so that, that is. Up. You had, you so had there Missouri some, frauds. There is some, some very recent experimentation and, and results that have gone into this, yep. this, uh, this pick from you. I guess I respect it. You have more in your head Missouri barely beating MTSU, and I had more in my head Kentucky in a dogfight with Eastern Kentucky for three and a half quarters. <laughs> Maybe they're both uh, bad. Maybe they're both bad. It's fantastic. And Tennessee followed it up by being in a dogfight with Austin P that day for <laughs> yeah. not not quite a full half, but make no mistake about 25, it. 25 minutes of a 60-minute football game. Here is what the back half of the schedule looks like for Tennessee. Hosting Texas A. Uh, this is just going to be in, in, in order. I won't give you the dates. If you want to go look at the dates, you can find them yourself. <laughs> Hosting Texas A&M at Alabama at Kentucky hosting UConn at Missouri, hosting Georgia at, or excuse me, hosting Vanderbilt as well. So three big road games coming up, Alabama, Kentucky, Missouri. That's all going to be within a four-week stretch. You come back home, you host Georgia and Vanderbilt to close out the year. So certainly some big, big SEC matchups for the Tennessee Volunteers to close out the rest of the season, but we'll see what happens. Obviously, Tennessee, as we set up the top of the show today, they are resting. They are recovering. They are regrouping. Texas A&M game going to be the next game for them. And as Ryan is working on right now, a little bit of breaking news. Not that it's going to be breaking news for anybody listening, listening to this now. here in a couple hours. But right as we started to record, it was breaking news. Checker Neeland is back for the Texas A&M game. So head over to the website. Find your colors. I always like Checker Neeland. I think it's really cool, and I think it's the best out of all the yeah, you see the stripes and the yeah. the stuff like that, but the the checkering really is like a, a, a technical masterpiece that that this stadium can do. So I always look forward to that uh, spectacle. Definitely, and it uh, obviously matches, you know, something in the stadium. The stripes are always just kind of random for other yeah. teams. I guess if you're yeah. I guess if you're a tiger, like you got your Auburn and you're the Tigers. You can kind of make the spin there. You're stri- Do you remember when, the when somebody, and I think it was maybe Missouri, like they tried to put the Tiger stripes, but like instead of just big vertical rows, right, from the stadium, like they actually tried to make like very oh, jagged, like jagged lines, and, and it'd be like, that is insane. Like you have to perfectly get your seat number, not just the section number. So that was a little bit of a wild trend, but I agree. The, the stripes can sometimes just be... Well, you had nothing else to do, so you're doing stripes. I'm going to give, as we put a bow on this SEC football conversation, I'm going to do something to kind of hype up the Rick's going to like. I don't know if it's going to be hyping <laughs> up Rick. What a weekend of sports we got in the state of Texas. <laughs> Red River rivalry. It's a good one. On yep. Saturday, Texas A&M, Alabama on Saturday. To me, the two best games in college football this week. Yeah. Um, 
I I think your Rangers probably aren't at home. We're on the road. Yeah, in Baltimore. We're in Baltimore. But maybe back at home by Sunday though. Maybe. I, I don't know when that series. First starts. game's on Saturday. Okay, so, so they'll no. play Saturday, Sunday in in Baltimore. Okay, so that one won't happen. But, but it's Sunday night football. Watch one of the best parties games. still like that. Still happening. Yeah. Playoff baseball. Yes. And, and the uh, maybe the no the Ast- are the Astros still playing? Did they get beat? Yeah, the Astros are still playing. Okay, so maybe I guess they'll probably be on the road too since they were a wild card team. Um, and then lastly, the game of the weekend, the NFL, Sunday night football in Dallas. Dallas, San Francisco. That's in San Fran. Okay, well, I've just clowned myself completely. <laughs> Way to butcher it, Ryan. I butchered all of it. None of it. No, 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 no. What you did was you perfectly spelled out what my beautiful bye week is going to look like. Yes. Because that right there. It worked for the college football stuff. Yes, it just it, did, it, it just didn't for work that. for uh, uh, the professional sports. Otherwise, you're just giving a look into what Rick's up to this weekend. I mean, That's I will right. be watching the Cowboys. I will be watching the Rangers. I will be watching the Aggies and the Longhorns and the Sooners. Boomer. <laughs> two, two SEC battles. Yeah. Who you guys Couple got? SEC battles. Red River. Uh, Oklahoma. Interesting. Not many people roll. I don't have. I don't have the guts to pick <laughs> Oklahoma, but I think it could happen. <laughs> okay. Cool. Hook them. A&M or Bama? I don't know. Oh, crap. I feel like this is the only game Bama, like, I, I'm I really about. liked what A&M was able to just clobber Arkansas with last week. Yeah, even if, Even with the backup. Yeah. yeah, he's fine. And we'll talk more Jason about this. Jason Witten was there on the sidelines for, I guess, actually, he was in the stands for that game. He was hanging out with the quarterback's family. And oh. I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week, but... You know, Alabama and Tennessee kind of still have some of the same offensive limitations where they're not sure. their passing game's not great, and AM is just built to chew you up if you can't throw the ball. I mean, that front seven is just fantastic. So that makes it a, a little, little Walter Nolan. Yeah. A Walter I mean, that, Nolan action. That makes Powell it a little Panthers. more interesting. I don't know. I would still probably ride Alabama, but I I think that'll be a, a fantastic it's competitive in game for college four quarters. Station? Yep. Give me the Aggies. Give me the Aggies. I think it would be better for Tennessee if Texas A&M wins, too. Maybe that's controversial. Think so? Yeah, I think so. Okay. You have A&M riding off a, a huge win like yeah, that. No, I feel you. And then they also have some Handle leeway in the over. SEC West battle, too. Yeah. If they if they lose out or if they were to win that game and they could drop a game later. So, I don't know. It's probably not a huge – it's like A&M beating Alabama wouldn't make me think, wow, A&M's a lot better than I thought they were. I just think A&M's good and Alabama's flawed. Sure. So, no, that's fair. What do you say we flip gears? Any other football conversation real quick? Nothing else for me. Yeah, I didn't think so. This <laughs> sounded very rude. Like, yeah, that's Sorry. right. <laughs> there better not be any more football talk. <laughs> yeah, I know you've hit all your opinions. <laughs> um, let's flip gears a little bit and talk about basketball. Tennessee hosted their media day here in Knoxville this week. Got to talk to a lot of different players. Got to talk to a lot of different coaches. In fact... We've talked to all three coaches at this point. We've go, we've gotten to talk to a, a big 25-minute uh, press conference with Rick Barnes. Ryan, you had a great, I mean, two really 15-minute long interviews, one-on-one with both Rod Clark and Justin Ganey. And then we've got a ton of players to look at. So, obviously, you can go and find all those at the RockyTopInsider.com website. But what do you think? I mean, basketball's back. Uh, talking to the players this week seems like energy is high. They're waiting to get Zakai Ziegler back. That's Obviously, one of the big storylines throughout the offseason. But what do you think about just kind of opening week to basketball? Certainly. And, uh, you know, Zakai Ziegler, we watched, we're able to watch practice also on Tuesday, that was. And, 
he was doing a little bit of team stuff, not a ton, uh, but again, it, it's progression, doing more from what we saw at the end of the summer when we were able to watch some practices before they went to Italy. So good sign of progression there. Uh, I guess the other housekeeping news, brief injuries. Uh, Tobe Awaka uh, was in concussion protocol, which was kind of strange. He did interviews and was working off to the side, but it, it sounds like he'll be back sometime later this week or maybe next week. Similar situation with J.P. Estrella, the freshman big man who fractured his finger back a few weeks ago, a uh, situation where they didn't even really realize it happened right away. He was kind of playing through it. And then uh, lastly, D.J. Jefferson uh, currently not practicing with the team for not living up to the standards of the program. No one used the word suspension. That was kind of the implication, though. So uh, nine scholarship guys right now, and Rick Barnes talks, likes to talk about a lot how he likes to push his team's physical endurance uh, during the preseason, and he got nine scholarship guys out there. There's a lot of opportunities to do that because uh, yeah. not a lot of breaks for the players during practice, and they were getting up and down a lot and doing it with shorter shot clocks, too, on Tuesday. So that's kind of the housekeeping uh, thoughts and a little bit from watching them practice. Yeah, he talked about how I guess they ran a scrimmage, what, last week or so? And yeah, it was sometime last had, weekend. They had nine scholarship players for it. They were running basically five-on-five, five, added in a walk-on or so, and had no substitutions, had no rest, and... and I can't remember who it was. Maybe you can get me, but I think one of the freshmen basically came up to Rick Barnes after that first time out or so and said, Coach, this is the most tired I've ever been in my whole life, right? I think it was Cade Phillips who there you go. missed all the summer and didn't start uh, really being active until about a month ago. So I think yeah. I talked when I talked to him one-on-one, he talked about his getting his endurance back up has kind of been a challenge because it – he got back right as they started uh, doing some more practice stuff. Yeah, and I can imagine. And again, this is not me, you know, sounding the alarms and saying that conditioning is a is an issue. Obviously, I don't expect that. I'm just saying that in the way of, you know, hey, yeah, practices are intense right now. They're down a couple players. Guys are pulling extra weight, pulling extra load, and all this to get uh, to get more ready for the season coming up ahead. But um, ultimately, it, it, one of the I guess one of the thoughts I had just kind of walking around media day was okay. A lot of new faces on the team, right? Whether it be people who transferred in, whether it be um, just newcomers in terms of the freshman class, but also a lot of still familiarity with the team, right? You have your Jonas Adu, you have Josiah jordan James, Santiago Vescovi, whoever else it might be, right? You have those familiar faces. So it's a pretty good mix of both guys that you're intrigued and you're interested to see kind of how they're going to mesh with this team, then also guys who, who you've seen them before. You've seen what their work ethic can be, and you want to know how that's all going to combine together. So certainly a, a good little start to the week, good little start to the basketball season, even though that's still a, a good few weeks away. I think the two main macro things I look at for this team right now, and I wrote a little bit about them, about them, my five questions piece a few weeks ago uh, when they started practice, and I'll probably look at both in more detail before the season starts, but... One is, you know, how much does this team play small? The Rick Barnes has been willing to do that some in the past, um, but, you know, still a tendency, likes to play two bigs at times, and just the personnel in this team, it's not built to play two bigs much, and that's even furthered by the fact that J.P. Estrella is sidelined currently, and uh, Rod Clark, assistant coach, was telling me about, man, for freshman big men, it's just about getting reps. You just got to get a lot of reps, and, and that hurts him and his ability to get ready, um, which kind of leaves... Tennessee with two proven big men in Tobey Awaka and Jonas Adu entering this season. So I think that's going to force him to play smaller a lot more. And, and as Rod Clark told me too, he said, you know, look, there's few teams in SEC that don't play, you know, with a six eight super athletic guy at the four spot. And you can't get away with playing small. He said, 
you know, Texas A&M, Kentucky will do some things, but uh, a lot of those guys, you know, it's you get away with playing four guards almost exclusively uh, against them, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. And so that'll be interesting to see, uh, especially I think also with Tobey Awaka, who didn't play any of the five last season. And I think it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for him on the defensive side of playing the five, but he's going to have to play that a lot. And then in the big picture, Tennessee has built a consistent top 25. I mean, they've been in top 25 for every week, basically the last two and a half years. But they haven't been able to consistently sustain themselves as one of the nation's elite top 10, top five programs because the offense isn't good enough. They got into that top 25 by just being fantastic on defense. Sure. This offseason, they went out. They have... From a personnel standpoint, they have really looked to address those offense concerns. Freddie DeLeon, which obviously wasn't this offseason, he uh, was in the recruiting class a year ago, early enrollee, really talented offensive player, not great defensively. Dalton Connect, really talented offensive player, not great defensively. Uh, Jordan Ganey from USC Upstate, I think better defensive player than both those guys, but still kind of an offensive first guy. It's a two-part thing for me of how does Tennessee... How much does Tennessee move in that direction without sacrificing its defense of prowess? And two, how willing are they to give up marginal losses on the defensive end to risk getting better offensively? It's easy and it's it's real easy to talk about wanting to get better offensively. It's a little bit harder to go out and sign the guys that are going to make you better offensively. It's a little bit harder to put trust in those guys going into the season that this is how we're going to be. And it's really hard when it's the under-eight timeout in an SEC game and it's a tight game and those guys maybe aren't playing great. If Dalton Connect's shooting two of seven from three, it takes a lot then to say, all right, let's give these guys some leeway and let's let them learn through mistakes and let's be better offensively. It's real easy to just say, yeah, let's just go back to leaning on what we know how to do and let's play defense and let's win this game defensively. And in the short term, that might be better for you to win some games. But in the long term, I think it caps how good Tennessee as a program can be and specifically how good this team can be when it comes to March. So those are two things kind of long-winded that I'm really fascinated to look at going into the season. And uh, it was interesting to get you know some of the players' perspective, but, but definitely Rod Clark and Justin Ganey gave some interesting answers on both those topics. Really, really interesting stuff right there from Ryan on just kind of this Tennessee basketball team. And, of course, we, we still have our normal traditional football coverage that really is only even going to get more and more as the season continues to go on. But it just means more work for us because we also have basketball season uh, coming up right around the corner, and we will have you updated for that season for its entirety. we got big stuff coming up ahead. I mean, I even think in November, Ryan, there's going to be one weekend where you're up in Wisconsin – we are over in Missouri, right? We're going to be everywhere this fall and this be, winter coming up. Awesome. It's going to be wild. So make Como sure. and Madison. There you go, right? We'll, Let's go. We're, we're, Two fun weather places to be in, in, <laughs> in mid-November. In November 18th. Yeah. It's going to be awful, uh, I would say. Whatever so. it is. November 11th. That is, it's kind of going to wrap us up, guys. It's pretty much all that's, that's on my itinerary, at least. What about you guys? No, I think we hit it all. Yep. That's it for me. Very nice. Well, in that case... I got no jokes. I got I got no no clever wrap you up. For, you ready for the Niners to win Sunday night? How bad is that going to hurt? Well, it's, it's what do you think? What do you think's going to happen? Honestly, look, I think that the Cowboys are the best team in the NFL. I think that they <laughs> simmer down. <laughs> 
They lost to the Cardinals. I think that they ran into a buzzsaw that we're all familiar with named Joshua Dobbs, okay? It's crazy that the 49ers didn't seem to have such issues with that buzzsaw a week later. I agree. It is crazy. It's just one of those flukes that that you can't explain. Quick it's like sidebar. a UFO. I don't know if you guys mentioned this last week, but how about Josh Dobbs in the NFL? Yeah. Like, round of applause. Yeah. He, he beat the Cowboys. Get him no, to— No, just in— the, He's been like, good. He's He's been season. so fun to watch. Get him, I, to, get him to New York. That's what I've been saying. Get him to the Jets? Or, or yeah, the, the Jets. No, the Jets. Get him to the Jets. They— the, the Cardinals are trying to tank. The Cardinals don't want to win games. Just watch to Zach tank. Wilson now play Patrick Mahomes. Come on now. If I could have bought maybe a tiny bit of it if he hadn't <laughs> dropped a snap to lose the game. <laughs> yes. The, look, the Cardinals are trying to lose games. Zach Wilson will help them lose games by dropping snaps in critical yes. moments. Josh Dobbs is fighting for his, his career. The Jets need a game manager, and Josh Dobbs is a heck of a game manager. Yeah, he's been really good. He's, he's a game. I mean, he, he, doesn't make, he, he hasn't thrown an interception all season. It's a great I think, point. I think a couple fumbles in that first game. Yeah, his first game was bad, but it, since then he's been rolling. If you flip those quarterbacks, the Jets are probably feeling a, a good bit better than they, than they are now. Josh Dobbs is getting mentored by Aaron Rodgers, right? and how to continue to perfect his throwing motion. The Cardinals, meanwhile, would be neck and neck with the Bears as, as just yeah. by far the two biggest dumpster fires. It's not even close. <laughs> and the Panthers, because the Bears are looking to get those number one, number yeah, two picks they, in the draft. They, they're they're in for Carolina to lose. What do you got? Do you go Williams-Harrison, just one, two, re- restart your entire offense at once? You got Darnell right last year. It's a pretty good trio if you need a build. I, I was th- we're getting way off time, but I was thinking about that. The Bears-Panthers play in early November. I'm almost curious if the Bears try to uh, win that game to prevent Carolina from getting momentum because they want Carolina to keep losing. So like, <laughs> let's just win this one. No, the funny, the funny, the funny you bring that up, Jack. No confirmed plans yet, but that is Thursday night football in Chicago, the weekend of Missouri, Wisconsin, and my plan oh, wow. is to fly into Chicago, and I think some of myself and some of the basketball media guys are going to go. Oh no way! To the Panthers, Heck Bears, yeah. two of the barn burn. Uh, two, the two, maybe the two worst teams in the NFL on Thursday night to. football. But it's, it's a good storyline about it. Is a good storyline. No, it's going to be cold, bad football. At least you get to you're going to be tired. That's a good call, man. Yeah, it's still pretty good though. All right, gentlemen. Well, uh, my computer's about to die, so uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. How does that sound? Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us here today. We appreciate you checking out the Rocky Tump Insider Press Pass podcast. As always, if you want to go and follow the host, you can do that at Jack Foster Media on Twitter for Jack. You can follow Ryan at rshump00, and that is S-C-H-U-M-P. And, of course, if you want to follow myself as well, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But otherwise, make sure you're just checking out RockyTompInsider.com each and every day and following Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Wherever you are, we are there as well. So make sure you're going to follow us so we can continue to deliver you the best Tennessee news, notes, and content that we possibly can. Guys, thank you so much for this recording. We will see you back next week, I'd imagine. Yeah, probably Next week, same. you want to record? I'd same thing? Same I'd Thursday? say so, yeah. Okay, all right. Let's come back next week. Obviously, nothing this weekend. Enjoy the weekend. Be safe out there. But we got a big weekend coming up next week with the Texas A&M Aggies. Checker Nealand here in Knoxville. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you back then. Have a wonderful day.